Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Jason Brown, and I'm a cloud solutions architect with RightBrain Networks. I'm your host for today. Joining me is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Hello. Also joining us is subject matter expert and recurring guest on the podcast, Preston Frazier, a senior software engineer from the Interoperability Institute. Welcome back, Preston. Thanks, Jason. Happy to be back. All righty. In this episode, we're going to discuss security for serverless architecture, and it is a broad topic. So uh, let's dig in. So yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll start off with just talking about some primary uh, security concerns uh, for serverless architecture. And I guess I'll, I'll toss the first question over to you, Tom. So what security concerns that are specific to serverless architecture and how do they differ from traditional server-based security challenges? Kind of putting me on the spot here. So what's the, what's the most concerning, are you saying? Or like what's... Yeah, I guess like how, how do we differentiate from like security challenges that are uh, that apply to architecture in the broader scope versus what's specific to serverless that makes it unique from a security standpoint as opposed to like traditional server-based stuff? Yeah, I wouldn't say that there's anything that, that's more of a, you know, bigger threat right, to, to security with serverless, you know, as things are more abstracted away, right, there's there's less that's on your plate that you're concerned with. But with the, the bigger challenges, I would say, is, you know, you, you don't have access to that server, right, like a lot of agent-based tools that you may be used to uh, might not work. Uh, there's been a lot of changes and, and things are a lot better, but that's that's the biggest challenge that I would say is, you know, working with developers, they might have to use different tools to now, you know, navigate through different alerts and findings. And yeah, that'd be my, some of the biggest challenge. Yeah, I mean, definitely to follow up on what Tom said, I, I think, you know, the challenges are still there. We have to remain just as diligent, maybe even more to make sure that, you know, serverless services we're using uh, we're implementing the proper uh, security techniques. I wouldn't say there's anything inherent to serverless that's you know not existing in a traditional architecture. We still have those those challenges, and you know I think maybe the challenge is you need to or you know you need to be aware of the uh, cap- the security capabilities of each of your services that you're using now, whether it's your you know, cloud storage or your APIs. There's, I think, a lot of settings that you can you can tweak and tune um, to to you know secure them to you know what your company needs or what your job requires. So I think that's really the challenge, in my opinion. But um, I think we'll dive into some some of what those are. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you guys both touched on on a, the biggest one, which is like securing your architecture without having direct access to the underlying servers or Docker host or whatever, that definitely makes you more dependent on 
the services provided by your cloud provider that that is actually providing these serverless services, right? Like Lambda functions or Fargate or what have you, you know, from the AWS, uh, using AWS as an example there. So yeah, there's definitely more that is put on the provider in terms of the low level part of it. So there's a, like a, a shared responsibility, right? There's what's called the shared responsibility model. So yeah, Preston, would you mind going into the shared responsibility model in the context of uh, serverless security and how that impacts um, developers, organizations, and, and cloud providers? Yeah, so I, I think what you mean by the shared responsibility model is that um, you know, it, it's not just the cloud provider, but it's the customer, the people that are implementing the systems, you know, how they operate, manage the, the components. You know, we are kind of at the uh, limit of configuring these services for what's available. So, you know, we can only, you know, implement the security configurations that are available from the cloud provider. In a lot of cases, there's there's not opportunities to go beyond that as maybe there would be in a traditional architecture where you're fully controlling the the machines, the servers, um, you can really install whatever kind of, you know, software you want on them. Um, that's not always the case here. So, you know, from my mind, this is the, this model is just kind of to say that you're only as secure as what you implement. And so it's, it's, it's our responsibility to, you know, be using what is available from the cloud provider. Yeah, just to elaborate on it too, thinking in the context of, you know, what the cloud provider puts out, right, that, that shared responsibility kind of hierarchy there, you would always see it as, you know, the hardware, definitely, that's the responsibility of the, the cloud provider to make sure that that's secure, the, the buildings, facilities, things like that, and then the, the hypervisor, um, as well. But then if you're running on something like EC2 within that shared responsibility model, now the OS is your responsibility. Whereas, you know, when you're running serverless, yeah, it's that little farther up the stack where the, the cloud provider is, you know, taking on that responsibility of the OS. And it's now more of your responsibility of just kind of that code that's running, right? And, and its privileges. I, I guess... Uh, on that note, right, introducing the one thing it does introduce more of, right, you, you still have it with EC2, but you, you kind of want to be a little more careful of it, is the privileges of that, your services running, your functions running, and, and what they can access. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and, and kind of along the lines of what you were talking about there, Tom, so being reliant on the, the cloud provider uh, and then using the tools that the cloud provider gives you to be able to secure your architecture and your environment like do you see the security challenges uh from a serverless perspective differ much between the different cloud service providers or if they do how much and what considerations should organizations keep in mind when choosing a specific provider i, I can't speak to too much on different providers but you know there's a lot of gray area, especially now, right? When, uh, when talking about serverless and sometimes you can get bundled in with containers and, and different things like that, the different offerings that the, uh, cloud providers have, but it, it, um, 
Yeah, it kind of depends, right? And and how much of is abstracted away, right? Do you have control? You can even run the containers in a Lambda, right? So do you have control of some of that config or or not? Um, but yeah, I, I can't speak too much on the, the difference of Google versus Azure and, and their different offerings, but just within AWS, right? What can be considered serverless has different uh, configurations and what you can control and can't control and what's uh, the provider's responsibility. From my perspective, you certainly get a little bit of easier time in organizing the security and permissions. You know, the cloud platforms, they really give you the tools to, I think, really granularly, granularly um, gives different services, different permissions, um, create sets of permissions. You know, in AWS, thinking about, you know, uh, security groups um, to control a lot of the network traffic between services. I am roles, roles that have, you know, kind of a grouping of these permissions for services. Certainly serverless, this kind of architecture. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, these things are serverlessly and serverless inherent, but a cloud provider gives you this tool to much easily, more easily organize security and permissions versus kind of a traditional architecture where everything is kind of not kind of cohesive to one kind of one structure of, of permissions kind of permissions are spread all over the place but with like a cloud provider you have kind of a consistent way to do permissions for all of your services which really makes it clear and organized on you know how it works and what has access to what right absolutely yeah so yeah. we talked a little bit about you know the different resources and tools that cloud providers can give to um, secure uh, serverless um, environment. So I guess let's talk a little bit more about best practices. What do you guys see? Uh, and I guess we'll start with you, Tom. What are some essential best practices for securing resources in a serverless environment? And how can developers ensure the integrity of their serverless applications? I would say one of the, the biggest things with serverless that you still, you know, have on the other ones is the, the permissions, right? It's, if it's AWS, it's the IAM, right? And using the, the least privileges uh, with the things like that. But it allows you to focus even more on the code and your dependencies, right? It's still important if you're running on EC2s, but it allows you to focus more of your, you know, security, how much time, you know, your developers have to, to focus on those things that, it allows them to do that, right? Focus on those dependencies more versus worrying about uh, networking issues and things like that. Absolutely. Do you have any other uh, best practices in mind that you'd want to talk to or speak to, Preston? Oh, yeah. There's um, quite a few best practices when it comes to security. I mean, specifically looking at AWS and cloud providers, you know, we've uh, at my company, we've gotten in the habit of, you know, creating security groups for every Lambda function, um, every every service for sure. That gives you a lot of granular control over this function is accessing this other service in, on the network. Actually, let me back up a bit. I said security group for each function. I meant to say um, an IAM role for mm -hmm. each function. Uh, we do reuse security groups between Lambdas. But having an IAM role, a policy for each, you know, function, and then usually each service too, 
Um, and that's, it's really like permissions that each, each service can get. So breaking it out granularly like that, I think really locks you down securely, uh, the best, you know, there's tools that can help do that too. Like with serverless framework, there's plugins that can create easily like IAM roles for, you know, each function you deploy, there's tools to help you with that, you know, so that's like internally in your AWS account, usually you're working in a private you know, VPC or your, your account is a private network. So, you know, most things can talk to each other internally and then you only want to expose, and, and this goes for you on traditional architectures too. You know, you only want to expose certain pieces to the outside internet that can be accessed. So for those pieces that are externally accessed, you want to be careful with like, you know, making sure everything is <laughs> secure in terms of everything has authentication and to what various level you need that. And another great consideration is firewalls. You know, for all of our APIs or even CloudFront distributions, these are two services in AWS that are very internet-facing. Um, client browsers, applications connect to. You know, we have uh, web application firewalls, which is a service in AWS that's essentially a firewall you can put in front of these these services specifically API gateway and, uh, you know, which handles a lot of your REST API traffic and uh, CloudFront, which is a CDN, you know, content distribution system for delivering static content. Web application firewalls in front of those are a really great to have thing. They can not only filter traffic, but AWS with AWS, they can prevent things like denial of service attacks. So, you know, if you have... You know, with serverless, here's a good example with serverless, you know, you have server uh, services that scale up and scale down <clears throat> based on the um, amount of traffic that you might have coming through a service. So, you know, something like CloudFront, where you're delivering a static website to a browser, not only do you want to have proper caching control settings there, so you aren't making a bunch of requests um, out to your S3 bucket, maybe where your static content's hosted, um, you know, you want to have some kind of firewall there where you can't just have a denial of service attack going on where someone is, is you know, overly requesting your um, your website and, um, you know, they're they're blocking it for other people to use. But same thing with the API gateway. Maybe you're spinning up a bunch of Lambda functions um, behind your API gateway, and that could become costly if you're getting a lot of requests that are coming in and, you know, someone is essentially driving up your costs because they're connecting to your API lots of times. Usually, if you have authenticated users who have credentials for these things, the API gateway side of things, it's going to have authentication on it. Um, hopefully, your authenticated users aren't being, you know, malicious. But if they are, you have that firewall to kind of protect you. Conversely, you know, CloudFront distributions are generally public because they're delivering a public, you know, publicly delivered, you know, website or static content. So normally there isn't authentication there. Um, so that's really a place where you want to protect yourself with that web application firewall to try to mitigate any attacks. So web application firewalls are great things for um, some of these AWS services. I just want to add to it too. You know, because we kind of talk about the the networking and I think sometimes it gets assumed that, you know, I have to have this, you know, in a VPC and in, in private. And I think that just kind of stems, it kind of spills over from older, you know, networking application architectures where 
there wasn't uh, authentication or encryption between services that were talking. So you know you had to have things in a in a you know private network um, to to communicate, but. With you know all, all of these services, they all expose secure endpoints to connect to encrypted, right? That and authenticated with IAM rules or, or something else. Sometimes you you know your company may have policies that that say that. Uh, and I I encourage you to challenge them uh, if they do. Uh, from what I've seen, it's better to have less, right? If you can just focus on you know here's a, you know the single endpoints IAM credentials versus open it up. It, to internal network where things might get more lax because oh we're you know internal and and compliance reasons too right you may have it in your your audit log I, I'm, I'm no lawyer but I you know I encourage you to challenge you know whether it, your uh, lambda functions need to run in a VPC yeah very interesting yeah it's interesting to see that you know these very like basic but very relevant security best practices do you know, they, they do resonate with, with serverless architecture, you know, as well as traditional architecture. You have things like principle of least privilege, which you only open up for a specific component in your application, right? Like, you, and you're able to do that through IAM roles, you know, with very granular permissions of, you know, what specific, you know, AWS API function for every single service, right? Um, and yeah, just like you guys are talking about with networking as well, like only exposing what you need to be able to continue, um, functioning and not just leaving it open to the whole VPC. If you're in a VPC, you know, it's just these mainstay principles manifest themselves a little bit differently with, uh, with serverless and that you've both given some great examples of, of that. Um, so I guess uh, with using these tools and, and frameworks that you guys have mentioned, hopefully you'd be able to share a little bit when implementing these best practices or using these tools were there any like challenges that your organization had faced when when doing so like when actually like you know implementing this kind of security for your serverless components and architecture like we've mentioned before cloud providers add on additional features over time so sometimes there you have a service and, you know, you input the service and, you know, later on AWS adds a feature in to, you know, add on security and, you know, you want to use that feature. Sometimes that causes a little bit of re-architecting to happen, but that's kind of the, the way that these cloud services work, you know, when they implement new features, sometimes that forces you to change your architecture slightly. And so... One of the things we, we do a lot of as well, a lot of, as well at my company is if a service has encryption, we usually enable encryption on the service um, for data at rest or for data in transit. One of the things was um, a later on addition by AWS was um, for the simple notification service, SNS, they implemented encryption for transport of SNS messages. Um, but to use that, um, we had to, um, you know, a part of our architecture was sending SNS messages through our simple queue service, SQS. So part of that was we had to also enable, um, if you had a encrypted SNS message, you also had your queue have a permission 
to use the encryption key um, that was used by SNS. So it offered a little bit of a challenge that, well, we have to go back now and you know give permission to some of our queues for allowing them to use the encryption key to decrypt and re-encrypt the um, SNS message. So it was you know a little bit of a refactoring type of thing, but you know we were able to do it. But that's kind of the price we paid for utilizing some of these new security features. So it can just cause a little bit of re-architecturing um, from my view, if you choose, you know, to add these new features on as they go. But that was, you know, kind of one of the hurdle things we, we came across when we were using um, a security feature. Interesting. And um, so, you know, if you have something like dozens, hundreds, or even thousands of serverless components all communicating together, like how would you enforce those those standards that you're adopting you know in those so those changes to to your standards i mean is there like a a formal process that you your organization goes through to be able to ensure i mean assuming that you're using some kind of uh something like the serverless framework to be able to do this kind of configuration uh as code but yeah just wanted to hear your thoughts on on that in terms of like if you're able to speak to them yeah, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, what we do is we're able to run reports on services and filter those reports by, you know, what settings are enabled. So we can, say, list all of the, you know, simple notification service uh, topics that we have, and we can filter out the ones maybe that don't have encryption enabled. Or same thing with another service like SQS, we, you know, we can run an audit. I'm not sure maybe it's via CLI. It's probably how it is to to do that. You know, not the simplest thing. I don't think there's a dashboard just to do that in AWS. Sure, there are list screens on each of the services that may show you, you know, if your security setting is enabled or not, depending on what service it is. But, you know, it does take someone going through and looking and auditing in one way or another. And someone has to know, hey, we want to check that this service is encryption enabled, for example. So it's kind of like a manual thing to go through an audit. Yeah, the, there are a lot. Of, it depends on the tools that you're using, right? There's uh, a lot baked into to AWS that that can give you uh, alerts, or yeah, d- depending on what other security tools uh, that you're using, they can yeah help out by even mitigating, right? Or you know, providing you better reports, dashboards. You know, it's the the best thing. That, uh, that I've seen is where you can make it very transparent uh, for the teams and the organization and kind of putting it on the team of, okay, here, these, these are the issues, right? That's when uh, things get fixed. So the better you can make things transparent on what's going on, right? Like, hey, these runtimes are out of date or, yeah, these, these are too wide open. If you can make that easier for those developers working on that to see that, uh, there's a lot of benefit to that. Excellent. So we uh, we're getting pretty close to time. We've got just probably another another quick question. Um, I was really curious to hear both of your points of view on this. So, do you see any trends or emerging technologies or innovations uh, that could significantly impact the future of serverless security? Well, I think they they make it easier too. Like you mentioned, the infrastructure's code tools they do make it a lot easier to implement these security best practices versus you know 
you having to know, right? It's kind of like they'll do it by default or make it really easy to check a box. And, you know, now it's least privilege and, you know, different IEM role, like you were saying, for for each function. So, yeah, I, I think that's a trend of making it even easier by default. And then a lot of these tools, not, it's not just infrastructure as code, but they're kind of wrapping, uh, kind of doing their own serverless offering, like uh, Vercel, uh, Netlify, um, where they're abstracting even more, uh, you, you know, you have even less control, um, you know, g- going higher up that, that model. So I, I kind of see that what, you know, whether Amazon is doing it or, you know, they're not really moving fast enough. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of providers out there that are making it, um, even more abstracted, right. Just so you can just focus on, on what you're doing. Yeah. I, I do kind of feel like, you know, if it's something that the cloud provider doesn't offer, there's probably a third party vendor that's working on something if it's, you know, a big enough need. I know one example is that we wanted some static, I guess, antivirus, you know, to scan our S3 buckets to, you know, check for viruses or malicious files. Um, so there's, you know, third party vendors who you can install their cloud stack in your AWS account. And it'll, you know, scan your buckets for viruses and that kind of thing. You know, that's something that AWS natively doesn't provide. Now, will they provide it in the future? Very possible. It kind of seems like Tom said, the cloud provider, you know, works a little bit slower. I think they work pretty fast still, but they work slower, but they do start implementing a lot of these um, features into their services. But like the bleeding edge things, you know, brand new might be provided by a third party vendor for a little bit, a few years or so, then you might see that actually get natively built into AWS. So I kind of see that is, is, is a bit of, of a trend. It's really something that's, it's really in hot demand. Uh, you'll have a third party vendor maybe build it first as an installable feature in your account um, with services. But uh, I want to bring up one more thing too. We didn't get to touch on it, but just real quick, one thing that is built into AWS, uh, it's a really cool tool. It's called Amazon Inspector. And to um, not necessarily on the infrastructure side, but on the coding side for your packages, uh, like dependency libraries, Lambda layers like that, they do have um, you know code analysis to inspect your code for vulnerabilities. Amazon Inspector. That's a really useful tool that my company uses to help us check if like our code or third-party dependency libraries that we use have vulnerabilities, and that helps report that information to us in a consolidated view. So that is a tool that AWS has to help uh, scan for those vulnerabilities. But again, like we were talking about, they're making changes all the time and implementing things, and usually it's... um, it's a matter of time before they offer another, you know, security improvement for a service. All right. Excellent. Um, so we're just about at time, but I just wanted to give a little bit of time for you guys for closing thoughts. So, um, Tom, any closing thoughts on security in a serverless architecture? Uh, my closing thought would, would be to make sure it's transparent, right? The, the findings and everything it's, it's not helpful to just have your tools, you know, aggregate these and go to a security thing or whatever for your audit reports, you know, make it transparent and accessible to the, the to the developers to see, you know, what are the best practices, you know, 
what can I improve on, you know, as they're, as they're building and, and making changes. Excellent. And Preston, closing thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, the cloud providers are changing every day and it is hard to know sometimes those new features that they implement. So it's, it's important to stay vigilant on new features that they're releasing because that really seems like the best way to have something triggered in your mind that says, oh, they just implemented this feature. Maybe we need to go audit and look at our thing, our services again. Because like Tom said, it'd be really great if there was some kind of consolidated view that shows all of your services you're using and kind of gives you this security report that says, well, you know, these security features aren't enabled. They could be enabled to make you more secure. I can see there being the need for that kind of consolidation. But, you know, until that time really comes, yeah, keep your eyes open for those new features that are coming because that'll keep you on, you know, up to date on what's available next. All right. Awesome. Well, I think that's all the time we have for today, but I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners for tuning into today's episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. Hope you found the conversation informative and valuable, and we would love to have you join us again for next week's episode. As always, the episode will feature expert guests and interactive conversations, so be sure to tune in. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.